and open them to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to jump in there today. I want to talk to you today about a prisoner and more, M-O-R-E, not a guy's name, but um, I think it'll be um, explanatory or, or, or make sense as we, uh, as we move through this. I'm going to read, and I know we've been reading these, we're going to continue to read them um, in a in kind of a passage, a chunk sort of section until we move out of that section. Uh, so even though we may spend some of our, most of our time here today covering a few verses, I want to, we have to get some contextual, some contextual awareness of what's happening. So um, verse 1 of chapter 3, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. So we're, we're going to talk about a, a big chunk of this passage today and about some, some key things in here. Firstly, the word mystery in this passage is used four times. We're going to talk about that. The word together in this passage is used three times. And... Paul refers to himself with with specific descriptors, three different descriptors, three different descriptors, three times, all right? So four times mystery, three times together, and three times Paul refers to himself each time with a different descriptor. Now, so first we're going to look at the mysteries. They're in 3-3, 3-4, 3-6. And three nine, and we'll go back and look at each one of them here in just a second. In Paul's day, a mystery was something. It wasn't something unknown. It was something that only a few people knew. So as we read this passage, and we see, and we see the word actually used elsewhere here in Paul's writings, it's it's always uh, carries the connotation of something that's being revealed. It's a, it's a revelation. It's something that's being opened up to, to other people. So when he talks about this, this mystery and how he was made a steward of it and so on and so forth, it's the, the idea, the whole idea behind it is that's all happening so that others can see what it is. So let's look at the mysteries. Firstly, in 3.3, he says, um, uh, how this mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So, how did he get it? Uh, here it was revealed to him from the Lord. It wasn't something he made up. It wasn't something he read in some other book. And, and um, I, I might as well say it here. It, uh, it, 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 it could be said almost any place along in here. The vast majority of what we know about the church today came from the pen, the words of the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
the other writers of Scripture added to that. But it was Paul who defined this. It's, and, and we've looked at some of these words earlier that are in even the, up through this part in the, in the book where Paul describes this new man. He describes a body. He describes a building. And later on in Paul's writings, he, he, um, he builds upon those, upon those structures and, and those pictures so that we can see. So it's Paul who has given us what we, under, for the most part, given us what we under, understand about the church. And it was something that the Old Testament people did not see. And I remember back when I was in Bible school, they talked about the mountain peaks of prophecy. And uh, a lot of times when you read an Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, and sometimes, folks, when we even sing these Christmas hymns, the first coming of Christ will be identified with the second coming of Christ. And the way the, the, way, uh, the old teacher taught it was that the prophet stood on a mountaintop over here and he looked on this mountaintop here and this high point in God's working and he saw the incarnation. He saw what we refer to as the revealing of God, the advent, Christmas, Jesus Christ, the Savior coming. He, see, he sees the Savior coming and then he sees the Savior returning back here to make all things right, which is what one day Christ the King will do. And we'll keep that in mind. I already mentioned it a little bit. We see, we see God presenting himself as a baby uh, in, in a stable, uh, laid in a manger, um, humble. But later on, we see the Lord in his strength and in his power and in his kingly role of judge. So the, the prophets saw these eyes. They, they did not see what was down in that valley. And what was down in that valley, in a lot of instances, for those Old Testament prophets, was you and I. We're in that place where they did not see. So this mystery came by revelation. And, and it was given to Paul. And Paul wants to, to uh, make it known that it was a divine thing that was given to him. That it didn't come from other people. Now, uh, we, we're not time to go back and read all of the things that were that were there that that Paul talked about. But when you read his testimony, uh, and we read some of it a few weeks ago, he talked about how he was delivered from blindness when he was prayed for, and how he was was uh, preached there until he got chased out, and then he went to Jerusalem where the fathers were. And he talked to them, and then he went off. And when Paul gives his testimony, he talks about the fact how, how um, he, he went to the wilderness, and it was there in the wilderness that the Lord revealed these things to him. When we read Second Corinthians, he says he, thought, he saw things, the Lord showed him things that were unlawful for him to see, unlawful for, excuse me, unlawful for him to share. So Paul got this revelation, this mystery from God. In the fourth verse, it says, when you read, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this mystery was, was not about Paul. It was not about even the Jews or Gentiles, although, of course, it involved them. The, the mystery was about Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. Um, some, pe- some people think Christ was Jesus' last name. Uh, you know, the word Christ was the um, common the Grecianized form of Messiah. So when it says Jesus the Christ, it's talking about Jesus Messiah. And that, so this mystery was a mystery of Christ. What was God doing through Jesus' son? In verse 6, It says, um, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this mystery here is the togetherness of Jew and Gentile. Now one of the commentators I read went through the whole passage of all of the, the the whole section of all of the difficulties, the the racial differences. Race isn't a good 
term because these people were all basically of the same race, same skin color, and they looked alike. But all the cultural differences that were there between Jew and Gentile, we did that a few weeks ago. And, and we, we talked to you about how Paul ended up in Rome because of this fight between Jew and Gentile. That's why he was arrested in Rome. That's why he's a prisoner today writing this. He was arrested and taken to Rome because the Jews said, you brought a Gentile into this temple and that's worthy of death and they were going to kill him. And now he's saying that this mystery reveals that of this two, God has made one new man. And um, that the wall is torn down. Remember, we, 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 Paul, Paul said that. This wall, which was the law, has been torn down. It's been torn down in the flesh of Christ. We also talked about how the veil, when Jesus Christ died, the report from the Gospels is the veil, that thick veil that separated the most holy place or the holy of holies from the holy place. That veil was torn from top to bottom. And there was access in to where the mercy seat was and, and the cherubim where supposedly in good days when the children of Israel were not as disobedient to God as they had been, the presence of God dwelt. So that way was opened up and it, and it, was, made, it was made free. So this is the mystery that there is togetherness of Jew and Gentile. And um, uh, again, as I read, this, as I read over this, uh, the material for this week and what one of the authors put in his material in covering this and um, thought back of what we covered a few weeks ago, I, I don't think that any of us can um, really understand what it would, what it would be like. I, I will say this to you, that in, um, in the first century, in the spread of the gospel, where Paul went from city to city and, and, and preached first in the synagogues, and then when he was rejected, he went out and found where there were people seeking God and he preached there. Whether it was by the riverside, whether it was in the home of a lady who sold purple cloth, he went to where there were people seeking God. Those, there was a name for Gentiles in the first century who were not Jews, but who were attracted to the Jewish religion and way of life. They were called, they were called God-fearers. And when we read the, the um, um, account in the book of Acts of Cornelius, the, the Roman centurion, who was the first Gentile believer, him and his household, he would have been in that. He gave alms to God. He, he was honoring the Jewish God. He, he was a God-fearer. It was very common in that time for people to worship all sorts of different gods. As a matter of fact, the, the Roman Empire was built upon that. They did not care whom you worshipped. You, you, could, you could worship anything you wanted to. Just don't exclude the emperor from this business, which is later why Christians got in trouble. They said, no, there's only one God. We're only going to bow down to Jesus. So um, Cornelius is one of those God-fearers. So when Paul would go into these communities... There were people who would be there who would understand the Jewish way of life. They were not Jews. They were not circumcised. They didn't have the Jewish diet. They didn't do some of these. They didn't wear the Jewish clothing. They were separate. And if they tried to act like Jews and didn't go through the process, they would be in trouble with the Jews who lived there. They, so they didn't do that. But when they, when, when they saw how the Jews took care of their families and how, and how they paid their bills and how they lived their lives, and when they heard the wisdom in their teachings, they said, this is good. And so they hung around, and that, that's kind of a bad terminology. I don't want to get a picture of these you know, people leaning against the wall outside the, outside the synagogue, you know, smoking a cigarette, saying, hey, how's it going, bud? It's not, it's not what I'm talking about. But, but they were attracted to that. And so when Paul went to these Gentiles, he had a whole bunch of people who had some background into, into Jewish life and Jewish teaching. But in that background was the fact that they were not Jews. And the only way to God was to be a Jew. And so when Paul came and said to them, listen, let me show you this mystery. The mystery is... That what was keeping you guys apart, this law, 
This law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And he took that law on himself on the cross. And he broke down that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. And he made of the two one new man. And so whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you approach God through Jesus Christ by faith. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old. You come to God through Jesus Christ by faith. And by faith, you and we don't have time to read it here, but it's in Paul spends a couple chapters in the book of Romans saying that by faith, we become sons of Abraham who approached God by faith long before there was a law. God said, I see your faith, Abraham, and I count your faith as righteousness. So when Paul comes and he preaches this mystery that, that Jew and Gentile would now, could now together, they would be brothers and sisters approaching the, own, the one true God through his only son, Jesus Christ. And that son's death on the cross. And then I'll skip on down to this fourth one in verse 9. To bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that's been hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And then he goes on to talk about, here he says plan Here he says the eternal purpose. That this mystery would be revealed that the eternal plan and purpose of God would be to build a church. A New Testament word is ecclesia. To build a church. And and that this church would be uh, not a Jewish people, not a Gentile people, but a new people, a new race. And we'll get into that later. A new citizenship. That, that, that these people would be brought together and that everything else would be secondary to that. Their, their nationality, their skin color, their, their, their sex, it would all be secondary to the fact that, that Jesus Christ has made them all one in himself and that in him there is a, a, a pleasing sacrifice to God the Father so they can all be accepted in the, on the same level. That is the mystery. And later on we're going to look at how Paul's entire identity was linked to this mystery. So, four times mystery is used. And if you mark in your Bibles, I would encourage you to mark those. And even if you don't do it any study, if somebody looks at your Bible, they'll think you do. That was kind of a joke, but... uh, Actually, you probably shouldn't do it because they might ask us. See, you got those mysteries marked. And, and, why'd you do that? And I said, well, a preacher told me to, so I did. All right, so that's right. <laughs> By the way, uh, thank you for your prayers. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not on the drugs today, so anything I say is entirely my fault. <laughs> so I'll tell you that right there. Um, all right. Paul uses, I, w- I want to talk to you about the word together. Three times he uses the word together. And it may or may not show up well in your translations. And some of you who have electronic translations, this may be, the, this may be a good time for you to read this one verse in multiple translations. It's in verse 6. And he says, this mystery, how, this is how it starts. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, Heirs, not errors. <laughs> uh, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we're going to spend some time just looking at this one verse. Three different phrases all have with the prefix, what we would, if we were writing the prefix in English, it would be S-Y-N. All right, that was, that was the Greek, and, and there's, common usage for that but I'm going to get into that but it it basically means together with one phrase that means together with so he uses um, and by the way one of the Bible scholars I read um, believed that the first person to ever put that prefix with one of these other words was Paul 
So they can't find an ancient in the ancient writings any place where anybody else used the language or, or, or used this word. I I get I, I'm so amazed about the the wonder of God and how and how God does some of these things, even to the point of of. Uh, language is a complex thing. Language is more complex than speech. Okay? Everyone in here can speak. Most of us, myself included, included can only do that in one language. And anyone who speaks more than one language knows that to be fluent in the second language, you have to learn to think in that language so that the words come out natural and normal. That's, that's language. And there's a whole bunch that's connected with that. And here, God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, here, Paul, I will put these two words together. We'll talk about this in a second. So let's look at these. He says uh, that this together with is connected to heirs, body, and promises. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about some of this before, but let's just briefly go over it. What's an heir? An heir is someone who receives an inheritance. So you get from somebody else that which is not of your own production. So it's something that comes to you from somebody else. And here, what they're, what they're sharing is that you are an heir with God. And that, so that's, that's the context of this thing. That in Christ, you Gentiles our fellow heirs with God. And again, we're breaking down this wall between Jew and Gentile. He says, um, you also are partakers of the promise. Now, I skipped one. I'll come back to it because this is, I think this is closely connected. All that God promised to the Jews, that they would be a special people, a blessed relationship, um, his, his law would be theirs, that they would have access to prayer. And remember, if, if you think back through that sacrificial system, there were certain parts of that sacrificial system that you brought when you, you, you brought a sacrifice to thank God for things, to, to worship Him. You brought a, speckle, a special sacrifice if there was a, a, a wedding. That was, there was a sacrifice for that where you give thanks to God and connected, of course, with that wedding would be all the things in the future that we, we, we of course, would pray and we, we Christian weddings have prayer in them because you're seeking God for the future of these two families that are joined together uh, you, you might bring a special offering if there was something that was burning on your heart and we have people in the Old Testament who did this they brought an offering to God and said God hear my prayer and they would bring this offering to the Lord so uh, prayer is prayer with with the Jews in the Old Testament was so much different, wasn't it? And, and all you have to do is uh, look at this conflict between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah puts out a sacrifice and lifts his voice and calls to God and says, Lord, please accept my sacrifice. I give it to you. And fire comes down. Amazing. Read that thing. Consumes the, consumes the animal he'd put on the altar. They had drenched it with water. And if you, do you remember this? They even built a, dug a trench around it so the excess water would go into the trench, licked up the water, and burnt up the altar which was made of stone. And all of that happened in a flash after hours of these other yahoos, that's not a biblical term by the way, of these other yahoos running around cutting themselves with knives. That was prayer in the pagan Old Testament world that the Jews lived in. So much so that Elijah stood back and said, uh, <laughs> I love the Bible. Elijah stood back and said, hey, where's your God? Come, you cut yourself some more, guys. You're not bleeding enough. I, I, I kind of threw that in there. Okay, He did say this, where's your God? He must be in the bathroom. Read it. Doesn't use those terms, but it's exactly what he's saying. He, 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 you know, he's, he's back in the privy. He'll come out pretty soon, but keep cutting yourself. You know, he taunts them. 
I cannot get involved today in the wimpy nature of contemporary Christian ministers. Um, but remind me sometime, it won't take much to get me going. At any rate, that was prayer in the Old Testament. So when I say, you know, he says, you're, you're heirs of these promises, we, 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 we take it for granted. We read these scriptures and say, well, yeah, we can come to God. We can come to God with all of our needs, and he knows our needs even before we ask. And we're told to pray, and, and that whenever we come, we come before a throne of grace. And if, if you, you know, we quote all these things, and we, we don't stop to think what it was like and, and how much maybe of that we take for granted. That God would guide them, as He guided them with pillar of fire and a pillar, you know, pillar of cloud, and that blessed relationship He had with them. I'll go back to this: that they were His special people. God says, "Now you're so special that when you come to Me through Jesus Christ by faith, you come to Me through Jesus Christ, and you surrender your life to Me, I will come and live in you, and you will be individually My temple. And when there's more than one of you together, then corporately you are." the temple. I'll, I'll do everything so get this blessed relationship. You're very special. I'm going to live with you. He says, and when he talks about his law, he says, I'm going to write my law in your heart. It's going to be different. And, and, and of course, we have this book and we read this book because this book is the sword of the Spirit. But it's the Spirit within us that says, look here, and, and gives us those twinges and says, no, don't do that, don't do that, or do this, and, and, and here, here's, here's what you should do, here's what your response should be, here's what your attitude should be, and, and offers continuous correction to us, all of those promises, and they're different than they were in the Old Testament, but we, we, we walk into that, we walked into that when we walked in by faith, walked into Jesus by faith. And then he says, you are fellow let me read it again. Uh, members of the same body, together with members of the same body. And uh, that's what we've already mentioned this, that Paul says, I've made of the two one new man. And, um, and uh, uh, again, there's, there's a whole lot that could be said about this, and we'll cover some of these things at other times, Lord willing, that, that Paul elaborates on this whole body thing a lot. And especially when he gets into the church in Corinth that was so full of division and, and people were doing one-upmanship in their meetings. You know, if you read that book, you read the book and read between the lines, you'll see what was going on. Someone was popping up and saying, God told me this, and someone else was sitting over his side saying, well, he thinks that's hot. This is what God told me. And then he would pop up on the other side and he would say something or they would interrupt one another. And, and so Paul deals with all that. And, and in, the, in the chapters before, he explains to them how that should not be when they gather. He talks about what a body actually is, that a body is composed of many members. And those members are all important, that every member needs the other, the other members in order to function. And, and we, know, we know that's in Scripture. Before he gets through this book here in chapter 4, he's going to talk about whole, how the whole body joined together each joint and, and uh, 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 nerve, I, 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 don't, I said nerve because, <laughs> ow. Okay, so he, uh, he, 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 that each part supplies to the other so that the whole thing grows together. It's been amazing um, uh, this past year having these two surgeries. One that was, they, I found out later was major so let's love you when they tell you that afterward. Oh, that's a major surgery. Oh, it was? Oh, why didn't you tell me that ahead of time? Um, and then um, to uh, uh, Cheryl, bless her heart. Where is Cheryl? Hmm? Okay. She, she's a nurse, and she looked at my stitches this morning, and she asked me how things were doing, so on and so forth. And she said, you had sharp pains? I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I had a sharp pain. I was driving home and I was sitting with the thing on and I had a sharp pain. And she said, well, we talked about, I talked about it with my therapist too. And she said, well, that's, it's healing. I wasn't doing anything. I didn't do anything to give it a sharp pain. It just gave me one. What, the body's healing itself, folks. They told me when they took this tendon out here and rolled it up in a ball and shoved it up under there where that terrible arthritic bone was, that that tendon that they took out would regenerate itself. <laughs> 
they, they, they stripped, you know, they, they took it, they split it like you might rip a piece of paper and they took part of that tendon and rolled it up, shoved it up under there and then they said, that tendon will grow back, it'll, it'll, it'll be strong enough, don't worry about it. Did you just stop to think of the miracle of that? Paul said, we are together with him in his body. We are part of his body. And Jesus, by the way, is what? The head. He is the one who gives direction to the whole body. Now, I want to read to you just a, a portion here from Boyce's book. If I can get it to go where it's supposed to go. Um... Hang with me here, all right? The chief thing Paul wants to say about the mystery of God, of God's creating one new people in Christ, which he does say in verse 6, is that Jew and Gentile, as well as other, of all other types and conditions of men and women, hold their salvation blessings jointly in Christ's church. This is more striking in Greek than in most English versions. Now, if, you, if you've got an electronic Bible, like, like on my phone, I can look at a script, pull up a scripture and then go to the top and say, give me another translation. This, I read this to you, I read this out of the English Standard Version earlier. If you've got it earlier, you can look at it. Look about it, because this is what we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about these translations. He says, this is more striking in Greek than in most English versions, because to make his point, Paul assembles, and in the opinion of John Stott, in one case, invents three parallel composite expressions. In Greek, these words each begin with the prefix S-Y-N, which means together with. It is added to the words, which means air, I'm not going to read the Greek, air, body, and partner or companion. There is no way to capture the precise force of this in English. The King James Version does not do very well at all, although it gives an accurate translation, and then he gives it here, fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise. The Revised Standard Version and the New English Bible also translate accurately, but obscure the flow. So so you understand how Bible translations work. You can translate the words accurately, which is, which is what he said the King James Version does. But But after... 500 years, the, that accurate translation no longer carries the same meaning to the hearer that it did when they put it in. It carries something different. And in some of these instances, which is why, how many have ever seen an Amplified Bible? Ever seen one? You can tell an Amplified Bible because it's, it's like this thick, Okay. Um, because in, in, instead of it saying believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll say believe, and then it'll have have faith in, trust in, depend entirely upon, and that sentence you know becomes like three times as long as it normally would be because it tells you what faith is. That's an amplified Bible. So in some of these instances, these Greek term these Greek terminology does not necessarily directly translate into something that you and I can relate to. So it can be accurate. And not really communicate what God was trying to say. All right. Let me get back to this reading. Um, the Revised Standard Version and the New English Bible also translate accurate but obscure the flow. Phillips does better. He says equal heirs with his chosen people, equal members, and equal partners in God's promise. Repeating the word equal as an equivalent for S-Y-N, which meant together with. How many of you are still with me? All right? In my opinion, the New International, and this is him writing, the New International Version is most effective because it repeats the word together. It says, heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The phrases are worth looking at in detail, and then he goes on to tell you some of the things I already told you. And the, the Bible scholars that I read and the commentators that I used to prepare for this all pointed out that Paul did something remac- uh, remarkable thing with this language here. He was, and, and as you know, someone we were teasing earlier about commas, you know, Paul wrote these huge run-on sentences layering like Bach 
instead of with music layering things on, he just laid one thought on top of another thought on top of another thought on top of another thought until you get to the end of this thing and you're saying, oh my goodness, how wonderful and marvelous and big and large this thing is. It's awesome. And that's what he did here. Together. Now, please note as how this sentence is that we are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It is only the gospel that causes this to happen. You may say, well, what is the gospel? The gospel literally means good news. Um, we use it in all sorts of ways in modern vernacular, but it, it means good news. What, what is trying to be told us here? The good news is that God sent His Son to die for us. He paid the price of our punishment. He took God's wrath that we deserved on Himself. He was perfect in His death. And because he was perfect and without sin, God is able, when we believe in what God has done, when we trust, that's the, talking about the word faith here, when we have faith in what God has done, we not only is, are our sins attributed to Christ and killed on the cross, but Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. So when God the Father looks at us He doesn't see us in what we deserve. He doesn't see us in what we were. He sees the righteousness of Christ upon us. That's why John can write in 1 John, but he he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he is the propitiation of our sin. Jesus Christ did that. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That we don't do it. We, We can't do it. And if you think you can... That is, that is the icing on all of the evidence that you're lost. That you don't understand the holiness of God. That you don't understand your incapability of dealing with God's judgment. That you don't understand the depth of your lostness and your sin and your depravity. And your effort to do what only God could do and did do through Jesus Christ. Your effort is an affront to the grace and the gift of God. We can look back to chapter 2. By grace are you saved, why? By, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is what? A gift of God that no man should boast. That's the gospel. This unity, all of these things happen only through the gospel. Through the Son. Through the Son who is the Lord. He's, in the, in the, he's the head of the body. He's the cornerstone of the building. He's the groom to the bride. It all happens through Jesus Christ. Now let me say one thing this is not. This is not some sweet, syrupy, sympathetic, sappy brotherhood of man thing. This only happens through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, I'm I'm way past time here. Let me go quickly here. What about Paul? Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner of Christ. In another place in Philippians 3, 12, he says that he was apprehended by the Lord. Okay? If you have King James, you'll see that. They use the word apprehended. Some Some of the other translations use a different word. And he says, I was apprehended of the Lord so that I might apprehend that which the Lord has for me. It's an interesting play on words. You can look it up. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul was arrested by Jesus Christ. He, and this was part of his testimony. He says, I was on the road to Damascus. This makes a good pointer, by the way. I, I, was, on, <laughs> I was on the road to Damascus, and the Lord appeared to me in a light, and I couldn't see it, but it was a bright light, and I heard a voice that no one else heard, and he said, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? And he said, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, you're persecuting. And Paul, or excuse me, Paul was arrested by Jesus Christ. 
and made a prisoner. Now, at the time he's writing this, he's not only a prisoner of Christ, he's also a prisoner of the Romans. He's, he's writing from his hired uh, uh, accommodations in Rome, and he's writing back to these Ephesians. <clears throat> and why is, he, why is he a prisoner? Because of this conflict between Jews and Gentiles. We already talked about that. Paul says, look, I can do nothing more than submit to the Lordship of Christ because I am his prisoner. <laughs> what does Galatians 2.20 says? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, what? I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So much of modern Christianity, I don't have time to, I have, an, I have an example, I'll talk to you about this at some point, but so much of modern Christianity, even right now, God help us, even right now in churches around our community and around this country and, our, and maybe even around the world, people are sitting and listening to sermons about themselves. Do this to get this. God wants you to have this certain thing. And most of it's temporal. And most of it's focused on them. Paul says, I want you to know I'm a prisoner for your sake. He says, he says it. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Let me read it. On behalf of you Gentiles. And he starts that. And at the end of this passage, he says, Do not lose heart over what I'm suffering. Because it is your glory. My suffering is your glory. Glory. All right, prisoner, I got to go on. Paul was a steward. It says in verse 2, he says, I was given the stewardship. Let me read it. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. What is a steward? A steward is someone who's responsible to someone else. Paul was given uh, uh, the, the awareness, the knowledge of God's grace and all these things we talked about, about the church and uh, you know, the body, the, the building, and uh, all these things that he's trying to explain to these believers in Ephesus. And, and he said, I'm responsible. I, I have this gift of God's grace and it's toward you Gentiles. It's, it's for you. And that's what it says. It was given to me for you and, and I'm responsible to God to do this. And it is a message of grace. 2 Corinthians 5.20 talks about that. So the Apostle Paul describes himself as a prisoner, and then he describes himself as a steward. A steward was that guy that you left. And we, there's parables. Jesus talked parables about stewards. This parable is the guy that the rich guy, the rich, the property owner would leave and say, I bought this vineyard, I don't live here, you're in charge of it, take care of it, get the, get the crops, sell the crops, give me the money, you're, you're in charge of this, hire the people to do it, so on and so forth. That was a steward. When we get further and get other places in the New Testament, we find out that the Lord believes and has called all of us to be stewards of everything we've got. I'll go back to this. I'll go back to the Apostle Paul. This message of grace. And he knew that one day he would stand before the master who called him and commissioned him and sent him. And he would stand before that master and give an account for what he did with what the master gave him. Say, so that's just about the Apostle Paul. If you make it that, you're missing why he told us this. And then, here's the last one. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. You know what the word minister is otherwise translated in the New Testament? What that Greek word is? It's, it's the Greek word diakonos. Sound like a Greek word you know of or an English word you know of? Deacon. That's where we get our word deacon. It means a servant. 
And there was different, um, different nuances to it depending upon the context, but basically Paul is saying here, I'm a minister, I'm a servant. I'm a server. I'm here to serve God in this gospel and this minister, this, this that was given to me, which I'm a servant, was a gift of God's grace. I, uh, I had one of those uh, revelational moments in Epiphany a couple of years ago sitting in a conference where I heard the guys sitting around the table talking about church leadership. And they specifically were talking about church elders. And he, and he quoted to him, he, 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 his mistake was, <laughs> he quoted a reference. So I went to the reference, I read it. I didn't see the word leadership in there at all. And if you have such a tool, I encourage you to look that word up in the Bible. Look up the word leadership. See how many times it's used. Look up the word Servant, and see how many times it's used. Jesus said, I did not come to be ministered to, but to what? Minister. And to give myself as a ransom for many. You want to retranslate that? I didn't come to, to be the master. I came to be the servant. Jesus, in the hours before his death, if we understand the chronology correctly, in the hours before his death, he took off his garment, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he went around the room washing the disciples' feet. We all read that story in John 13. We all know what happens when he got to Peter and went through this whole process. When he got done with that whole thing, the Bible, and there's so much typology in this, but he, he, he took that towel back off. He wiped their feet with a towel he had wrapped around his waist. He took that towel off. He put on his garment, and then he said something like this to them. You have seen what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and so I am. But if I do this to you, how much more should you do to one another? Marriages break down because we're expecting the other person to serve us instead of trying to serve them. Relationships break down because we're wanting things from that other person instead of trying to give, other, give things to that other person. I once read that the hardest, I don't know if this is true, I'm not a musician, but I once read that the, um, the hardest or, uh, to do or maybe the one that was least liked to do was to play, the, to sit in the number two seat in the violin section. Usually the first seat in the violin section is the concert master. I need my orchestra people here to help me. It's that second seat that makes the first seat sound good. I came away from that conference and I said, you know, why don't we have classes in our seminaries on servanthood instead of leadership? Why don't we have classes on being a caregiver? Isn't that what a servant is? And what did Jesus say? He says, which of you thanks his servant when you come in from working in the field? You don't say to your servant, go eat, and then after you're done, you can feed me. No, when you come in from working in the field, you say to your servant, go prepare food, and after I have eaten, then you can serve, your, you can eat when I'm done, but you take care of me first. That's what the master does when he comes to the field. That's what the servant's job does. And then Jesus goes on to explain, does that servant get extra credit for doing what the master expects? No, because why? He's the servant. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to take care of his master. The Apostle Paul's entire life was wrapped up in this. And it was all by God's grace. So let me, let me pin the tail on this donkey. Paul's entire identity was tied up, mixed up, blended, made homogenous into the purpose of God's great gospel. That was the thing, that was the thing that hit him when, when, when he sat for those days blind 
waiting for Ananias to come and pray for him. And when Ananias came and said, Paul, the Lord has shown you that you're going to take my gospel to the Gentiles and you're the kings and you're going to suffer many things for my sake. And he laid hands on him and the scales fell from his eyes and he got up and he could see and he was not the person he was on that road. And he knew it. That's why later he could say the Lord apprehended me so that I could grab, he he grabbed me so that I could grab everything he's got for me. We live this Christian life as if Jesus Christ came and died so that we could have comfort and security, feel good about ourselves, have affluence. And sometimes, in some places, Christianity is a mile wide and half an inch deep. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to suffer and and. And, and to his amazement, because it wasn't him, it was God's grace. And that's why he said to these people, he said, look, if I'm suffering in prison, it's for your glory. It's because God is doing something in you. And that, that's the heart of a servant right there. It's not about me. It's about what God's doing in you. It was not about Paul. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ and the glorious gospel of God. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for patient people. We've spent a long time in the Word today. I I pray that you'll take the mighty words of your Scripture and add to them what humble and meager things I could add and work in our hearts to see how wonderful is to, to see how wonderful this salvation you have given us is how we're sharers with the promises of the ancient ones how all of that came to be not because of us but because of your son Jesus and lord how the awareness of that ought to consume our lives Protect us, I pray, from the incursion, constant bombardment of the world to tell us it's about us. Help us constantly be aware that it's about you. That our chief aim is to glorify you forever. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.